Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about how people fully break free from the recovery trap. We are two of the co-authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family. The Freedom Model offers a completely different approach to addiction, and we offer a real solution that is individual-centered. We offer two ways to learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes, and that is at our beautiful private St. Jude retreat and through our at-home Freedom Model private instruction program, which we do with you via video conference. It's like telemedicine, so to speak, but it's not medical. Um, You can get information about our retreat at SoberForever.net and about the at-home Freedom Model private instruction program at LeaveAddictionBehind.com. That's our new site and TheFreedomModel.org. And what we're going to talk about today, which we actually already did, and then I realized we weren't recording, so I'm in a bit of a mood right at the moment, um, is uh, I want to talk about leaving the cage of recovery. And the chapter 12, the very first line says, the freedom model makes intuitive sense to so many people, yet they remain chained to the idea that they'll have to keep working on recovery. So... We get a lot of people that call us and they're like, "We've I've read the book and I totally understand. It really spoke to me. Everything you say is true, but I still don't understand how I stay sober. Like they get chained to the idea that they have to do certain things in order to to, to stay abstinent or to, to be able to moderate. Um, and, and of course, the Freedom Model debunks all of that. But here are some of the things that people think they need. They think they need support in some way, shape, or form, like support group meetings or some kind of therapist or, or just like-minded people. Even like people have asked us to do a Freedom Model support group. They've asked for those kinds of things. People think they need to be working with other addicts or that they need to avoid triggers or which are people, places, and things, which sometimes can be your 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 best friends and your, your family. Your family. Your wife. Yeah, exactly. Or that they need to be caught, build a relationship with God. They need some kind of Super. spiritual, supernatural connection, right? Yeah. Um, eating healthy, exercising. I love this one, being rigorously honest, yeah. which can be just cruel as far as it I'm concerned. <laughs> and really damaging to marriages. And, and all like kinds that. of relationships. Yeah. Um, facing your fears, resolving past traumas. I mean, the list goes on and on. The things that are now tied to, be, you know, learning how not to drink and drug. Well, they, they do this because they make the argument about stopping and, and being able to move on with your life an argument about strength. Right. That you're weak and you're susceptible. And so you have to trigger free your life so that you can get past and stay away from the very thing that you want so much. And they ignore that last part. Right. And that, and that is that people want to get drunk. The only time that you that you actually have a problem is if you want it. Right. It, it must be very valuable to you. You know, in the, in the private instruction program, I might have 10 to 12 classes to get somebody to understand this, this, this idea that you don't need recovery for the rest of your life. Because the people in the private instruction program are at home. They're not, they're not at my retreat where I have a captive audience, right? They're not right in front of me. And they're going to live their lives. And so it's really, I have to get right into the fact that they don't need recovery, that they can move on, that they can choose differently, that they're not required to behave in the future like they behaved in the past. 
And somehow people think that they get an idea of going out uh, to drink, which is a spurious idea. It comes on them, right? Because out of habit, they have that thought. Sure. And then, and then they feel as if they must behave the same way they've always behaved. And one of the first things I tell them is, you're not required to behave the same way. You can, you can choose differently. And people don't know that. They don't know that they can simply shift their mental gaze from that spurious thought, that thought, what they call a craving, right, which is a thought, a want. And then they can say, wait, do I want that? Do I? Do I really? And, and so they can move on from it. Now, one of the things to, to address this idea of moving on that I get into is uh, the analogy I use, and I've, I've talked about it on some of the other podcasts, but it's worth pe- repeating here. And that is when you go from, when you're a kid, from the age of, I don't know, 8 to 15, you, you ride a bicycle. And your bicycle is your mode of freedom. It's everything to you. You polish it. You work on it. You, mm. you, you know, you you ride it with your buddies. It's a status symbol. Do you have, you know, do you have a Schwinn? Do you have a mongoose? Do you have, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then at 15, uh, you come around the corner of the house and you look at that old Oldsmobile Delta 88 with the orange paint and you say to yourself, someday that's going to be my car, you know? <laughs> and, and so your, your, your gaze shifts to the thing that you want. The question is, why do you want the car instead of the bicycle? Well, the reason you want the car is because of the benefits it provides. It provides status, right? A Delta 88 is a pretty cool car, especially mid-savings when they're boats. They're beautiful cars. And, um, and then, but it's also, you're not pedaling. You're out of the weather. The sense yeah. of freedom is massive because you can literally go anywhere on the North American continent. Right. Um, you're, you're, it's a completely different thing. But here's what's funny about recovery. And now, now I'm going I'm to dovetail this into re- this idea of recovery. You don't get in the Delta 88 that first day. You got your license. Your parents are no longer with you and you drive out of the driveway. You're not sitting in the Delta 88 going, I better drive forward or I'm going to, I have to escape that bicycle. You know, right. I, you're not. You're not pining away for the bicycle. Right. You've moved on from the bicycle based on the benefits of the future. Your mental gaze literally shifted from the bicycle in a very natural and effortless way. Yep. Based on benefits because you're driven by the benefits. You're driven by your positive drive principle. You're always looking for benefits. Now, if the bicycle genuinely had more benefits than the car, I guarantee you'll be pedaling. Okay, so what treatment misses is this analysis of does the bicycle actually have more benefits than the Delta 88? Does getting drunk really, truly provide benefits greater than abstaining or moderating? Because if it does, you're going to continue to get fucked up. That's right. Okay, so that's what AA does is it makes drinking into this huge monstrosity. And uh, well, alcohol is cunning, baffling and powerful. Right. Which and, it's not, by the way. Right, which it's not. So, so in, in that private instruction class or, or a class at the retreat, we're going to go over that and show you that your perceived benefits of getting drunk and high are actually not what they are. And that's the key to getting over and not ha- needing recovery. You will need to be in recovery, distracting yourself, white-knuckling away your sobriety as long as you believe that looking back at getting drunk is appetizing. As right. long as that remains a part of your ethos, the way you think you are in the cage of recovery, you'll never get out. You will always pine over it. You will always want it. You'll always desire it. You will always crave it. And you should, because if alcohol actually provided all the benefits you think it does, Jesus, everybody should drink. Right, right. And, and the thing about substance use and the recovery from heavy substance use, when you really think about it, I mean, I, I bit my nails as a kid. 
Um, I was never in recovery from biting my nails, but it was something I did continuously. I didn't have to go to meetings to quit biting my nails. All I had to do was go on a prenatal vitamin, apparently, and and, and my nails grew and I stopped biting them. Um, I, you know, it, it, people don't go to meetings to quit smoking. That's right. You know, and it's only been recently that now, you know, you see ads of smoking. Support. It's an addiction and and you need support. That's crap. I mean, if you go into a room of 100 people and you ask how many people, how many people in this room are ex-smokers, probably 60, 70% raise their hands. Well, it's it's the most quit substance on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to substance. And nobody nobody says I'm in recovery from smoking. Right. Then nobody ever says Now, I guarantee you, if they keep up with all the the patch sales and all this Nicorette and all this kind of nonsense that keeps people in the cycle longer, that's all it does. I guarantee you that we'll start hearing recovery nomenclature start to re- yeah. you are seeing it. You know, you're seeing it with gambling. You know, we we're getting a whole you know a whole lot of people that are contacting us about like sex and porn addiction and things like that. <laughs> and it's like so basically any activity can become an addiction. Yeah, it's it's the addictions we agree with. Jeffrey Shaler said this oh, a great yeah, researcher. He, did. he said, you know, the addictions we agree with we call virtues and the ones we don't agree with we call addictions, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And you know, vices. So, so, yeah. They're vices. Yeah, they're vices. Yep. And uh, and, Evil, and, bad. and just think about the word like I, I got to get clean. That yeah. implies that when you're drinking, you choose to use heroin, you're dirty. Yep, you're right? dirty. You should feel guilty mm-hmm. and dirty, so I need to get clean. Um, so so there's all this sort of subliminal nonsense going on. And now we do see with smoking in the commercials for Nicorette, uh, the patch couple or Nicorette coupled with support has great, you know, uh, hit rates of success, which isn't true, by the way. That's a lie. It yeah. keeps people longer in, in the quote unquote addiction, the physical withdrawal. Yep. So, um, so it's, I think it's vital to understand that you don't need recovery. I don't need recovery she said it best with the nail biting, but I don't need recovery from lobster bisque because I hate it. Okay? So and he you, really seriously hates it. Like, like there, it, it's such a hate that we have to mock him for it. They, they, they rip on me constantly about it. We do. Uh, that, we get it. Like, we'll go out to dinner and we get it. And then we, we like, put it in front of him just so we can see him. They're like, you want to try recoil. this? I'm like, get away from me. Okay. So, so if you feel you need recovery, I'm going to say something bold that's going to strike to your heart. If you feel you need recovery from drinking or drugging, it tells me that you absolutely still want to do it. Yes. And you and and in that respect, um, you're gonna struggle. That's right. You're going to struggle because it's gonna be you're gonna constantly feel deprived of the thing you want. AA meetings are filled with people who are desperate to want to go get hammered. And what's so unfortunate about that is they never address, they can never be, they talk about rigorous honesty. Well, then be rigorously honest and say, you know what? I want to get hammered. And I love, because I loved it. Yeah. Or and, love it. And I find benefit in that experience. Um, and so, so the question is then, once you can admit that, and this is what we do in, in, in our programs, once you can admit the benefits of drinking and drugging, what you perceive you're getting out of that experience. First of all, that can be like pulling teeth. It, well, because I mean, you say admit, but I, I think people are genuinely confused about it a lot of times. The people that we work with, are, it really does take some un, unpacking, if you will. Yeah, it does. Um, to figure out what, why people like it. So once they admit, there's a list, and it's usually anywhere between three to eight, nine items. 
Um, they feel like they escape. They feel like they're, they, you know, they, uh, whatever it might be. There's all kinds of benefits like that. Um, it's a distraction to life's troubles. It cures their depression. It cures anxiety. It cures trauma. It does all these things. Um, if you believe it does all those things, the first thing we have to do is we have to challenge that. We have to right. say, does alcohol, does ethyl alcohol, does acetaldehyde actually pharmacologically take away trauma from your past? I want to know. Or help you forget I, about it for a little while, yeah, even. Does it, does it do that or does it physically tickle the body? We know it does that. We're not mm -hmm. saying that alcohol doesn't, you know, have some effect on slowing motor functions. Drive a car hammered. Trust me, it's a dangerous proposition, you know. So, um, or get in a fist fight while you're hammered. It doesn't turn out good. I had lots of experience at that. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, so, I ran the experiment, the whole motor function experiment. It shouldn't take you long to figure that out after you collapse down a set of stairs or something like that. So, so, we're not saying that alcohol or drugs don't speed up or slow neural activity in the body. We get that. We get that. We, we, we also understand that it slows down um, and tickles the, the, the senses, right? You, your eyes get a little dri drifty. Your hearing might, you might hear a uh, buzzing sensation, things like that. Irrespective of the drug, it's going to either speed up or slow that down. So we're not saying that. But what we're saying is mentally, does it change our emotional state? Does, it, does alcohol change it? Or is that you? Right. And, and parsing that out is shocking to people. It's really difficult at first for them to believe that they are doing it, that there's an active placebo happening with alcohol and that your whole basic experience with alcohol and or drugs is a subjective personal experience based on your beliefs. Like I said, I'm not saying there's not a physical sensation and a dulling or speeding up of your senses based on whether it's cocaine or alcohol. I we're not saying that. I'm also not saying that there isn't a physical toxicity that can happen with certain drugs that causes withdrawal symptoms. We're not saying that either. But what we're saying is that how you frame the mental experience, the emotional mental experience is you. The benefits you think emotionally you're getting from these drugs and or alcohol is all how you believe it's going to take place. And that's you. Now, yeah. the good news about that is, is once you really get that, once you understand that it's you, then the value of alcohol and drugs becomes very small. Now, what I just explained, I can't do in a podcast thoroughly. So you'll just have to read the book to really understand and parse that out. Or, you know, you can always, um, you know, get private instruction or something like that with us. And I could walk you through that. But you could definitely be free from recovery and addiction. Right. And be free. Right. Well, I want to go back to an analogy that we talk about. You, you use the bicycle analogy, but I want to talk about something that you used to love doing that you don't do anymore, but you'd still in your head. I mean, I know you still have a love for it, but you're not doing it. But even then, I mean, Mark used to love riding motorcycles. He and my husband would ride rode dirt bikes and motorcycles from the time they were young. Yeah. And um, and it was something that they they really enjoyed doing, but you both made a conscious decision not to do it anymore. Yeah. And and it's not that you don't still like it. That's right. Um, it was that. Explain it. Well, I think that you're not, like I, I started this out with, you're not required to behave the same way towards alcohol and drugs as you did yesterday. Yes. Right? You can at any point change that perception. And I, I had a KX500. Some of you out in the audience might know what that is. It's a really fast dirt bike. And I had a bunch of them, and I loved them. I absolutely loved riding them. They're kind of a cave tool, but they're really, really, really uh, powerful and exciting to ride. And I was about, I guess, 35. 
and I was out riding on the farm, and I was bored. <laughs> I was bored. I did, the benefits weren't there. I had other things that were on my mind uh, with my company, with my house, with my wife. I was thinking more about the kids. That's what, Bob, too. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I, and I had hurt myself a lot on these motorcycles through the years. Now, as I got older, I got hurt less because I was a little smarter. But, but regardless, one day I just said, you know, I, I'm just not that interested. And, and then I sold it, and my oldest son was <laughs> de- devastated because I was right with him. And and then I bought another one, right? I was like, oh my god! I, so he kind of went back. Uh, so he kind of. I did this three times. I, I did this three times. I even experimented with other. I got a YZ125, brand new, great little bike, um, a super blaster ride. But I was bored. And then I said, wait a minute, maybe I'm gonna try this four-stroke thing. So then I got a YZF250, and I really hated that thing. Then I got another KX500, and my wife is like, what in God's name are you doing? You know, maybe and, you needed meetings. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And really, what it was was a preference change. Yes, right. I, you're you're making a preference change. And which my, is how that happens. And my my mental and emotional gaze had switched to other things, yeah. and activities, and drives. I was evolving as a person. Here's what's interesting: people think, for whatever reason, in this culture, that it's more normal to be addicted and stay with one option than it is to diversify your life and evolve. Diversifying your life and evolving as a human being is much more normal. It is. That's a natural progression. So so this idea of needing recovery to force yourself away from one option that you used to like, it, all it does is keep you trapped. Yeah. Most people that I've met just move on. It's until they're taught that they can't move on that they That's don't. right. That's exactly right. You know, AA teaches you AA treatment. Our culture now says, I was watching a show I love. I love The Ranch, you know, this sitcom. I don't watch much sitcoms, but that one's real fun for me to watch. And this girl, Mary, this character, she got, uh, quote unquote, addicted to heroin. By the way, she shot up once and all of a sudden she had withdrawal. It was ridiculous. So there was one chunk of misinformation. Oh, God. Then, then she was like, it's like heaven all wrapped up in the best pizza joint, best pizza you ever had. She went on for like 30 seconds of how it's the best of all things. And yet we know from research when you take 150 people who have never shot up and you shoot them up with morphine, basically heroin, only three of them asked to be re-injected. Yeah, I can tell you that it's pretty. It's it wasn't on a pleasant experience for me yeah. when I had to get morphine for a for a health emergency. It was a pretty unpleasant experience, and I'm like, I would not seek that out again. Yeah. So, so this idea that it's inherently pleasurable and that you'll need to be in recovery to escape it—it's all myth. It is mythology. It's all myth. The problem is this: when you believe it, recovery is true. It's true. When you believe that these things are bigger than you are, and you hold on to that belief. You need something outside yourself to save you from yourself. And that's just bullshit. That's just a lie. You don't need that. What you need is the right information to make a preference change. And know that you are capable of change. Secondly, that you're not required to continually behave in the same way that they've taught you to behave. And that you can just move on. You can do it effortlessly if if you really don't want to be behaving that way. Now, just to be clear, we do encourage people, especially when people we work with people at the retreat, we do talk to them about the process of moving on, which is really not a process at all. It's a decision. Yeah. Um, the process but, is debunking the crap. Exactly. We, we do talk about, um, you know, kind of getting out there and figuring out what it is you like. And that's different than thinking of replacing 
going to the bar with going to the gym. It's not the same thing as that. It's oh, that you're going to have a lot of free time. You know, you're going to have a lot of time that you used to spend doing your, your substance or whatever it is. And, and so if you want to fill it with Netflix, that's fine. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but certainly, um, figuring out what you want beyond that can be a really illuminating experience. And, and I think people, when people get stuck in the rut, in the rut that addiction is like, um, they're, they become so myopic. Yeah, this is good. You know, this it's like, it's like you're, you're looking down a tunnel and you feel your options seem completely limited. It feels like you have, there are no other options for happiness. Um, and, and so all of a sudden your world opens up. And you kind of got to go dabble in different areas to maybe figure out exactly what would make you happy again. And so we do talk about that. Yeah, that's in the in the last portion of our lessons. It's called life movements, moving on, right? Yeah. Uh, making life move again. And you you explained it really well. You do become myopic. This idea that you that one thing. Well, what is addiction? Let's 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 define that's addiction. Right. right. Addiction is the pre the the, the complete focus on one thing one activity only which is very unnatural okay so what is the opposite of addiction this is a line by Stephen uh Stephen Slate it's it's brilliant and that is the opposite of addiction is diversification so when you when you stop getting drunk and high you have this you can you can view that moment in two different ways one is my life is empty and I feel deprived yep the other is your mental gaze shifts and it says I have opportunity. Correct. I suddenly That's have. Great. I have a tremendous amount of opportunity. So it's the difference of letting go of your bicycle when you're 15, and then constantly looking back at it, going, "Ah, do I want that? Do I want that? Ah," and not making the little walk across the field to the Delta 88, sitting in the garage, you know. Um, and, but, in my circumstance, I can remember when I quit drinking and drugging. It was a pretty dramatic series of events that got me there and arrest and a lot of a lot of chaos. And but really, when my that night that I crashed that truck, um, my mental and emotional gaze moved to I'm gonna get the hell out of my hometown, I'm gonna move on. Yeah. I wanted out so bad. I, I could taste it. I wanted so much to be more successful. And so I never felt deprived as I left that life behind. I did not feel deprived of letting go of booze. Booze wasn't fun anymore. You know, yeah. I was doing it purely out of this idea that I was addicted. And, and that was keeping me trapped. And then, unfortunately, I got sucked into the treatment industry by the law and by, by the charges well, by that were against By being raised me. in it as yep. well. Yep. And that, that got me on the distraction for a long time. Yep. And got me into a recovery-centered mindset, which was terribly damaging and self-limiting. So, and you, you did that too. I did too. Even though it felt entirely unnatural, and like I, I remember the, the question that would go through my mind. Here I was. I was twenty-two years old. I'm sitting in meetings every night, and I all I kept thinking was, you know, I drank and drugged for about six years, heavily. I mean, the last few years were very heavy and I was suicidal and I had a mental health diagnosis and, you know, but I remember thinking, is this it? Like, I know. does my whole, like, 22 to do the next 50 years have to be about this? Uh, like, it seemed absurd to me. That's a great point. I remember thinking that too. Like, why do I have to go forward in my life and look backwards? Mm-hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, like my whole life is defined by this finite, very short period of time when I was young. Yeah, it's so insane. I, and, you know, when you look at natural remission rates, the fact that over oh, nine, yeah. at a, nine out of ten people are going to quit. Yeah, and usually by the, by mid-30s. Yep. By yep. their mid-30s, yeah, they're the, done. The biggest drop is 25 to 37, right? Mm-hmm. That's where you just move on. And And this idea that you would focus, it was weird. Mm-hmm. Even with as much indoctrination as yeah. I had, and I had some wicked indoctrination. You sure did. <laughs> I mean, I was literally born into the treatment industry. It was totally whacked. Um, <laughs> even with that, I knew inside it didn't. It just didn't make sense because I wanted more than anything to move on. And we talk about that in the freedom model as the positive drive principle. Yes. You know, you're driven for diversification. You're you're going to move forward, and natural remission rates prove this out. Nine out of ten people, irrespective of the drug, if you factor in time, age, yep. get over the problem whether they're treated or not. So when I have a guest, whether it's on private instruction on a screen in front of me or somebody sitting in my office, either one, I tell them, you're going to quit. Yeah, just, do you just want, a matter of time. Just do you want to do that now? Do you want to speed that shit up and do it now? Or do you want to do that when you're 60 and you've screwed up another couple decades? Or next year, another year. Yeah. How much time do you want to waste? How much time? It's up to you. But you can end today. This whole shitty part of your life can end today and you can move on. And it's not that hard. It's just you you think you like something based on perceived benefits that actually don't exist. And you've been taught a bunch of crap. Now, when I say that, the listener isn't going to understand it. I know that you're sitting there going, oh my God, I'd really love to get high. I really, really love it. It gives me all these things. Um, You wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't believe it. So I get that. But you need to read the freedom model. You need to read it. And this isn't a plug about a book. We wrote the book <clears throat> based on love, care, research, but mostly love. I didn't want people having to go through hell and back when they could have just read something that cleared up the air, yep. gave them the right information, and they were able and set to you move on. Like the information that will literally open doors for you. It will completely free your mind from all the nonsense. I mean, it literally is utter nonsense that we were taught when yeah. we were young it's nonsense that kids in schools are being taught now um that that somehow that these drugs have power to enslave people oh it's it create we are creating a generation of addicts that people define themselves as uh broken people yeah and we're, we're creating susceptibility we create this idea that kids are fragile emotionally i mean holy shit if i if kids are fragile emotionally just go in the ghetto for a day yeah. Okay. Or into a third world country. Yeah, yeah. You know what? The rest of the world. The rest of the world. If you think people are mentally fragile, go to a third world country. I visited them. Mm-hmm. I've been there. I've been with the people there. And you realize they are resilient. Oh, absolutely. They, are, they, are, they can evolve. They can overcome anything. And, and as a youth, I did. You know, you did, mm-hmm. Michelle. I did. Um, and our guests do. So this idea that we're teaching kids that they're fragile, that words hurt in our violence, all this stuff is silliness. It's silliness, you know. So so what's important here is knowing that you really are capable of change if you're given the right information. Um, We obviously can't cover it in this short Mm -hmm. of a podcast, but but if you look at and listen to the rest of the podcasts, go to our websites, The Freedom Model, uh, leaveaddictionbehind.com is a great one because that's the one that covers our Freedom Model private instruction program. And if you need detox, um, let me give a shameless plug to Gallus Detox because they're partnered with us. Um, now's a good time to do that. 
if you need, uh, if you do have withdrawal, if you're dealing with alcohol, benzodiazepines, um, opiates, um, maybe if you want to get off of Suboxone or Methadone, any of those things, a lot of people are trying to get off this stuff now. They don't want to be on it for life. Uh, they'll detox you off of any of those, yeah. um, along with any of the stuff. Yeah, and, and look, it, there, there is, I, I want to just, we do understand that there's such a thing, and I don't even, I don't like the terminology, they call it dependence, drug dependence, all that, all that means, it doesn't mean that you have to keep using. That's right. It means that you will experience withdrawal if you quit. Yeah. And that there, there is a medical condition, um, you know, that withdrawal syndrome where that can be dangerous, especially with alcohol and benzodiazepines. And you should definitely consult a medical professional about if you're going to discontinue use of those things. If you're a heavy, heavy drinker, um, you know, somebody that drinks from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed at night and you do that over a period of time, you probably will experience withdrawal. I experienced withdrawal symptoms. Me too. Me too. Um, and, um, you know, not and my grandfather actually passed away in withdrawal. Um, and because he didn't have a detox. Because he, he didn't. He should have gone. Absolutely. He should have gone. So, so those things are real. Um, and we're not talking about that. But once the withdrawal is done... It's time to move on. It's, it, you can move <laughs> on. You can be totally done. I know that there's... There's some misinformation out there about about post-acute withdrawal syndrome and all of this stuff. None of it has been shown to be true. That's right. Um, you know, it's it's a way for rehabs to make money. Yep. I hate to say scare, it. Scare you into creating a syndrome of fear. Of six months of of detoxing and things yeah, like it's, that. It's it, it there's no substance that does that to you. That's right. It doesn't I'm going to go right out there and say that. Yeah. Um, you know, so so this whole idea that you have to you know, that you have to do a bunch of things not to keep yourself from doing what you really want to do is a bunch of crap. Yeah. And um and we just wanted everybody to know that. And uh, so I think we can wrap it up today, yeah? Yeah, yeah I think we covered I think we're at about 30 minutes, and um, we're trying to make these more concise for people. Um, all right, let me let me read my clothes. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our rep- websites, thefreedommodel.org, leaveaddictionbehind.com, and soberforever.net. At thefreedommodel.org, we offer a bunch of free resources and information, including videos, podcasts, and eBooks. Digital editions of our books are available there as well, and they're also available on Amazon um, for paperback and Kindle versions, and other online retailers as well. If you have questions and you want to reach us, you can email us at info at thefreedommodel.org or call our toll-free number, which I'll say again, which is 888-424-2626. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to our Freedom Model YouTube channel. And we have Facebook groups that you can join, including the Freedom Model, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving on Beyond Addiction and Recovery. From everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.